Are you looking to modernize your veterinary practice by offering virtual care to pet owners? Fortunately, there's an easy solution from the podcast sponsor, Medici. That's M-E-D-I-C-I. Medici is a telehealth solution built for veterinarians. I've made it easy to check out Medici with a link in the show notes, or you can head over to their website, medici.md, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. Medici lets you text, call, and video chat with clients with their easy-to-use app. Send or receive images and videos of pets, stay VCPR compliant, and get paid, which is always a wonderful thing, for delivering convenient care right from your phone. Hi, this is Dr. Aaron Smiley, and I've offered telemedicine to my clients since I started. In 2017, I integrated paid telemedicine with Medici. Ready to go virtual? Visit Medici.md, that's M-E-D-I-C-I dot M-D, or call 512-967-6454 to learn more. And with that, here's the show. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Lauren Smith, practicing small animal veterinarian from Long Island, New York. And she's been creating content around the veterinary medicine space since 2015 as a veterinarian. So likely those of you might know her better as the vetitude, but as you'll find out, there's a lot more to her than just that. And Dr. Smith, thanks so much for spending some time with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So can you tell me the origin story of the Vetitude. And we met initially at Vet Partners in Vegas. You gave me kind of the high level, but can you share that with the audience as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I started writing back in 2015, or maybe it was 2014. I had just started kind of writing almost like client handouts, three things to do for your allergic pet, seven ways to help your pet lose weight. And I decided to turn those into blogs. And I started putting them up on my website, laurensmithdvm.com. It was like I would write things and put them on my blog and they would get like 12 hits, six of which were me (laughs) checking to make sure the formatting was okay. But I put them up there and then I would also print them out to give to clients. But then I wrote this one article in response to something I had read on Huffington Post. And the article on Huffington Post was the real reason your wait at the doctor's office is so long. And really, it was just this person complaining about how doctors try to cram as many appointments in as possible to make money and all of this stuff. And I just got really angry. And so I wrote a response article called The Real Reason Your Wait at the Vet's Office is So Long. And it just went like insanely viral. It got like 40,000 hits. It got reposted on the AVMA website. And I was just like, what just happened? Like I was floored. And then someone reached out to me who had their own very popular veterinary blog in the veterinary space and asked me if they could repost it. And I said, absolutely. And then they said, have you ever thought of writing for other veterinary professionals? Because I think you'd be really good at that. And I was like, well, no, I never really thought of that. So then I thought about it. And I was like, okay, let me give this a try. And so I started writing some things And they really were very well received and people really seemed to respond to what I had to say. And I think they connected with the feeling that they're not alone, like things that they were feeling or experiencing other veterinarians and other people were experiencing as well. And maybe they weren't weird or all alone in those feelings. And I think that that's why people kind of responded to that. So then I kept kind of writing those kinds of articles for another couple of years, just writing in my own blog. And then also on the drandywork.com website, I had stuff posted there and it just kind of started to take off. I met other people in that space and they helped me grow my brand in particular, Danielle Lambert of Snout School 
and Dr. Jessica Vogel saying have been big mentors for me, as well as Dr. Andy Rourke himself, who was posting a lot of my stuff. And they really just helped me. And so about two years ago, I transitioned from that Lauren Smith DVM and I actually branded the Vetitude after kind of spending a couple of years finding my niche and kind of finding my branding. Yeah, I love the story and can appreciate so much of what you went through. Were you someone that enjoyed writing like growing up? Was this English class in grade school? Like you were the one that was always getting good grades or was this something that developed later? Was that always a part of you? Yeah, I mean, writing wasn't a huge part in high school. I mean, I was the kid who got good grades and I did a little bit of writing. And then in the college years, in the undergrad years, I actually started writing fan fiction. There you go. (laughs) So I started developing some writing skills around there. But I mean, writing was definitely not my main thing. I was definitely very science oriented as a kid. Gotcha. Did you ever publish any of the fiction work that you did or was this always something you kept yourself? I mean, I published it on fan fiction sites. There you go. (laughs) Under a pseudonym that hopefully no one will ever find. I guess you answered the other question right there. So it's like, okay, you know, it's out there, but you'll never know it's me. Okay, perfect. (laughs) I was really appreciative of, again, as we met in Vegas with the Vet Partners meeting, you were so gracious to answer in the one question episode. Can you talk a little bit about the answer that you gave in thinking about clients and viewing them as maybe enemies and... It was, again, a short soundbite, which was the idea of the episode, but you want to expound upon your thoughts there? Yeah, definitely. I think most people went into veterinary medicine for the animals and not for the people. And so, of course, there are veterinarians out there who are naturally people people, but I think that that is not the majority of us. I myself, growing up, always considered myself a bit of an introvert, and I actually had some significant social anxiety in veterinary school and when I first graduated. So... Dealing with people was not something that I looked forward to or I enjoyed. And I think that a lot of times we get to the point where maybe because we don't necessarily connect with people as well as we do with animals, we sometimes get some pushback from clients and we don't know how to deal with that. And then that kind of almost becomes a self-perpetuating thing and it kind of snowballs out of control. Like the one example that I like to use a lot is I had weight loss surgery about a year and a half ago, but I was supposed to have that surgery six months before I actually did. And with the surgery, you need to go on a liquid diet for a week before. So I had cleared out my entire refrigerator, thrown away hundreds of dollars worth of food, bought all of these protein shakes and had been drinking them for days. The surgeon's assistant called me and told me that my surgery was canceled because the insurance company declined my claim. And so, of course, I was pretty annoyed and I reacted. And the first thing I said was, well, why am I just hearing about this now? She immediately got defensive and started to defend why no one had been keeping me updated, you know, and then I got angry back and it just kind of spiraled out of control. And when I hung up the phone, I thought to myself, like, how did that go so wrong? And I realized that if after I had said, well, why didn't anyone tell me? And she had just said, I know it really sucks. I'm so sorry that this is happening it would have been a whole different conversation. And then I thought to myself, well, how often do I get on the phone to deliver bad news to a client and I'm already preparing for them to be mad at me? I'm prepared because this woman has to give all the bad news all the time, right? She's calling people. She's the one that's tasked when there's bad news with calling people up and giving them the bad news. And she's used to being yelled at. And so she's prepared for that. But sometimes being prepared for that actually, I think, makes it worse because we perpetuate it. Whereas if we just allow people to react and then empathize with them instead of getting defensive, it can diffuse potentially difficult 
situations. And so we need to stop going into exam rooms or starting phone calls with this anticipation that we're going to be fighting with someone. That's great. And as you were giving that example, the two words I wrote down was diffuse the situation, or I guess the two things I thought diffuse the situation and being empathetic. And then you kind of touched on that right at the end. And I think those are the two best ways to think about it is how can you just be a real person with them and understand that, yeah, this is going to suck and it's not a fun conversation. No one's enjoying it, but the news has to be delivered and we have to continue to move past that. And I think you need to be prepared for the fact that people are going to react to that and you have to allow them room for those reactions. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily angry at you or blaming you when they react. They're just reacting to the situation. And if we take it personally right away, then we're going to get nowhere. Couldn't agree more. I think that's a really, really good example. And I appreciate you sharing something that is a personal story because I think that helps it resonate better. When you think about, you touched on a little bit before finding your niche and finding kind of who you were, how's embracing your uniqueness and voice helped you professionally and also personally? I think it has helped dramatically because I've been through ups and downs in my career, just like all of us have. I love being a veterinarian, but it has its tough moments. And since I started writing and since I started developing the vetitude, it really has helped me process a lot of the difficult things in veterinary medicine. So I had one article that I wrote called, These Are My Thoughts When I Lose a Patient After I Had a Surgery Patient, a Foreign Body Surgery That Dehissed and Died. That was really a very traumatic thing to go through, and it took me a couple of months to really get over it, but writing about it was really something that helped me process it and get over it. And then in addition to that, I think with having the brand of the Vetitude and stuff, I have to look for the good things to share in the day or the lessons that are learned. And doing that, making the conscious effort to look for the positive in these situations has definitely just changed my outlook on veterinary medicine in general and really helped me embrace the career even more. Yeah. And talking about your writing, there was one post that stuck out to me, which was funny. And I think about the old saying, C's get degrees. And you wrote a post about how C students Mm -hmm. might actually be the best veterinarians. And why do you think that is? That article actually wasn't really about the C students. It wasn't written for the C students and why they're the best students. It was actually written, I was not a C student. I was an A student. But I still had those same, well, not the same fears, but I had my own fears about going into practice. And I think a lot of times we think the grass is greener on the other side. So the C students are sitting there thinking that they're not going to be good vets because they're getting C's. And so they have this saying, the C's get degrees or C students make the best doctors. And part of that is because I think a lot of the C students tend to have more social skills. Maybe they don't spend as much time with their nose stuck in a book. But then On the flip side of that, me as an A student, I worried that I was going to be doomed to do research stuck in a room with monkeys all day and not out there dealing with people. Like, did I not have the social skills? Did I not have the experience? So I think we all experience our own fears and our own sense of imposter syndrome, whether we seem like we've got it all going for us or not. Yeah. And imposter syndrome is a really interesting, uh, just example, and there's been many TED Talks about it, but there was one that talked, I think even Fortune 500 CEOs, there's like 70% if they actually were being honest, feel that way. And so almost everyone, regardless of how successful they are and what's going on in their life, they feel that kind of burden internally as well. And it is a very, very interesting thing to dig into and think about and, and know that 
if you've gone through veterinary school, like you are really well equipped with a tremendous amount of skills and knowledge. And that's not something easy to do. So it is hard to feel like you're ready to do something. But at the same time, you have to realize how far you've come and how much you really learn in that experience. Yeah. And I think in some ways, imposter syndrome is a good thing. As long as you can control it, it can be a good thing. It encourages us to improve and to get better. But I think part of the issue with imposter syndrome is who we're comparing ourselves to. So when you're a vet student, maybe you're comparing yourselves to veterinarians. But you shouldn't be. And then when you're a veterinarian, when you're a new grad and an intern, maybe you're comparing yourselves to the specialists. And the specialists are comparing themselves to the very top people at the field. And we are always comparing up. But vet students probably aren't comparing themselves to the very, very top members of the field. And as you get higher, you think to yourself, you're comparing yourselves to these people. But something that helps me sometimes is stopping and thinking, you know, a couple of years ago, I never would have even compared of dreaming myself to this person because they were just so out of my league. So the fact that they're now even in a realm where I can compare themselves, myself to them means that I'm improving and that I'm moving up in the world. Yeah, that's a really good point. What's the benchmark or what's the measuring stick that you have? And I think human nature also is, at least I think about this too, you set goals, you set these different things, you like always move things further up. So the, the goal is always a moving target that you keep putting out there farther and farther away instead of, again, realizing that you are accomplishing a lot and maybe you don't need to measure yourself. So yeah, great thought process there and something to really sit in, kind of ponder, you know, how are you measuring yourself against others? As a relief veterinarian, you've seen a lot of various different clinics and hospitals. Are there best practices or things that have really stood out to you that you're impressed with and think, wow, this is really, really good. And I wish more people did it this way or thought about things in this light. Well, I think the number one thing that I see in the practices, I don't have access to practices financials. (laughs) So part of it is me making assumptions about which practices are successful and which ones are not. But the biggest thing, of course, that I see in practices that seem more successful, I think there are two big things. One is how they're utilizing their support staff and the practices that operate as a team and really empower their team members, their technicians, especially to do all of the things that they can do. Those practices definitely seem to be at the top. And then the other thing is the utilization of technology. So I still go into a fair number of practices that are on paper records. I went to one practice that still had analog radiographs. And I was like, what? is this? And I just wasted so much time when I had to get x-rays there. Like It was such a waste of time and resources sitting there waiting for it to process. And I've forgotten what it was like, you know, because when I first graduated, we still had a lot of the film x-rays. But now it's been so long that I've had digital x-rays that I'd almost forgotten what a waste of time it was sitting there waiting for things to process. So the efficiency of keeping up to date on technology really makes a difference. And I think you might have already answered the biggest opportunity that is missed to improve. So maybe it is a lack of spin in technology. Anything else that you see or is that really kind of the answer that you would position? Yeah, I would say those big two things is the utilization of their staff and the utilization of technology. I think in general, those are two of the biggest things that allow us to cope with change, I think. And of course, being able to change, especially in these times where everything is changing so quickly is really important. What do you see that makes veterinary medicine great? What is it from your vantage point that you see is the reason why you think it's a great community and culture? I think the people 
are what make veterinary medicine so great. The people who get into this field are some of the most compassionate, wonderful, kindest, hardworking, empathetic people that I have ever met. And so often I do see, unfortunately, that as we struggle through our careers and the stress and the burnout and the compassion fatigue, that that does sometimes get sapped. But the way that we all then come together to support one another, to support clients and patients, you know, we just want to help. That's every veterinarian and every veterinary technician and every support staff member I've ever met. Like, they just want to help and they go out of their way so often. I mean, I see CSRs making minimum wage who are offering up their limited funds to help a client who can't pay for services. I see technicians and veterinarians volunteering their time and just giving stuff away that they should not be giving away, but do because they just can't stand to see animals and their people suffer. And I think in many ways, that is our biggest strength and our biggest weakness. But I tend to like to focus on the optimistic and see the hope and the positivity in that. And I know that we need to get it under control a little bit so that we don't cut off our nose to spite our face. But the fact that we have that compassion and that dedication is just so hopeful and wonderful to me. Perfect. I appreciate that. I always find the answers interesting to hear, you know, what someone sees within the industry and what their opinion is. Is there a soapbox topic that maybe we haven't talked about that if given just kind of free reign to talk about anything that that you feel like is really important for folks to hear about and understand? Well, I think we kind of addressed it a little bit when you asked me about like the answer that I gave during the one question and the not viewing clients as an enemy. But I think just in general, my big soapbox topic, and this goes not just for clients, but for within the profession and with each other as well, is that we need to be stopped being so damn judgmental. We want to help. I know I just got finished saying how kind and compassionate and wonderful we are. And I still believe that. But I also see a lot of judgment. And I do think that a lot of that comes from that defensiveness that I talked about earlier, or those feelings of imposter syndrome that we suffer from. But I do see a lot of judgment in the field, judgment of each other, judgment of our clients. And we need to stop and really try to see things from other people's perspectives and be more empathetic. Just because someone doesn't make the same decisions that we do does not mean their decisions are wrong. And we need to stop and really try to put ourselves in other people's shoes a little bit more often and be a little bit more understanding of the positions that they're coming from. Thank you. That's fantastic. The podcast is the Veterinary Success Podcast. So you talk about success. And one of my favorite questions is always asking, how does someone define success personally and then also professionally for themselves? How would you answer that? Or how do you think about success? So you actually got me thinking about this a lot when I was listening to some of the past podcasts. And I actually just recently wrote an Instagram post about this. When I think a lot about some of the traditional ideas of what success is, sometimes people define it as monetary success or professional success or just having a happy family and all of those things. And none of that really felt right to me. And I started to wonder what it was about it that was missing the mark. And to me, what was missing the mark was that those all seemed like final destinations, like success is the pinnacle or the ultimate thing that you've tried to achieve and you, you've already achieved it. And to me, that is, I always want something else to strive for. It's like when you finish a really good book. 
finishing the book is not successful. It's bittersweet because, yeah, you're happy to have found out what happened, but you're also sad about the loss of the journey of actually reading the book and enjoying it. And I think of life a lot the same way. So to me, success is not necessarily being where you want to be, but I think it's knowing where you want to be and knowing that you're on the right path and that you're making those little successes every day to get to the place that you want to go. It's beautiful. I appreciate that. And definitely a lot of thought into it and trying to understand that, you know, the journey is most of what you're going to remember anyways. And it's not kind of that ultimate finish line because that definitely, again, we just talked about like resetting the goalpost and it's like, okay, what's next? And I think that's a really important lesson for the vet students and the new grads out there because for so long in our lives as veterinarians, we've had this goal, this thing that we've strived for, this thing that we wanted to accomplish. And then you finish vet school, you get your degree and you're a doctor. And I find that a lot of people, I think a big reason that a lot of people start to struggle after a couple of years is because your entire life you've been working towards something and now you're just there. And it's like, where do you go from here? And I think that loss of purpose and that loss of striving for something else is a big reason that we start to, you know, hit that slump a few years out and really start to struggle and be unhappy. So as we wind down, again, I originally actually started following you on Instagram and then we met in person, which was kind of cool for me. It was like, oh, I know who that is kind of, but she doesn't know who I am. If someone wanted to follow your work, where would you encourage them to reach out? And if they wanted to connect, like, where would you send them? I'm definitely the most active on Instagram. I have a presence on Facebook too, and I'm at the Vetitude on both. So you can always send me, you know, a DM either place there. You can follow me at the Vetitude on Facebook or Instagram, but I'm definitely most active on Instagram. Always, you can feel free to reach out to me via email at lauren at the And I am on LinkedIn as well, but I'm not nearly as active on there. And then final question. What are you working on now? Anything in the future that you want to talk about or thinking of that's exciting? Yeah. So I joined a mastermind group with Danielle Lambert for the Snout School, and all of us are working on a product together. So we're working on getting you some great content out to help people both professionally and personally. And I'm working on some communication type stuff to help mostly veterinarians. Support staff could probably use it too a little bit, but it's mainly geared towards veterinarians to help them navigate those complicated interactions with clients in the exam rooms, the money conversations, the how do you talk to the Dr. Google enthusiasts, those conversations that just seem to vex us the most. So stay tuned and uh, follow along. Thank you so much for spending the time today and carving out a little time to share your insights, wisdom, and knowledge. And I'm super appreciative of it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. Isaiah is the founder of ID Financial Planning and Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor in the state of Indiana. The biggest compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is a platform that is predominantly how people listen to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us an honest review and rating. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links, 
links and information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information and insights and the ability to have your voice heard, please consider joining the private podcast Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinarian Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll down to the about your host and click on the Facebook icon. Then I can approve you, let you into the group, and would love to hear from you there. Thanks for listening, and I'll be talking again to you soon.